The scripture passage for this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus, uh, through chapters 5 and 7, Um, He's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. What is it? What's the character of the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom? And he's beginning his wrap-up. He's starting to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount um, with a series of, I guess what you could call illustrations or parables. And um, he basically, he's requiring a reaction from those who are hearing it. And what he's saying is this. There's an absolute difference between enjoying my teaching and applying my teaching. There's a very big difference between knowing the Sermon on the Mount and embracing the Sermon on the Mount. Why is he saying that? He wants us to know the kind of life that he's calling us to. And what's the kind of life that he's calling calling us to? He says here, it's a life of narrowness. That's what he says. What is that? He talks about the narrow gate and a narrow road. Go down the road. He says, it's the image, you go down the road and you see these two gates, a fork, the proverbial fork. On one side, you see a wide gate and a wide road, and you see lots of people on that road. And he says, on the other side, there is a narrow gate and a narrow road, and very few people are on this road. It's a very vivid picture, because our natural inclination is to take the wide gate, the wide road, where lots of people are on. But he says, I want you to do what's counterintuitive. I want you to take the narrow gate. Why does he say that? We live in a time where it's been absolutely acceptable to say that I'm spiritually searching. We live in a time where it's acceptable. It's actually embraced to say that I'm spiritually searching. I'm looking for God. But it's become equally unacceptable to say, I found God. We live in a time where we say, uh, it's okay to say, I'm searching for God, I'm searching for spiritual truth, but it's not okay to say, I found God, I found spiritual truth. And why, why is that? It's because it's narrow. It's constricting to say that you found it. To know something, to uphold something as true, requires you to then surrender to truth, to commit to truth. And that's narrow, it's constricting. Christianity, it doesn't try to bait you. It doesn't try to bait and hook you. Christianity's view of life is way too realistic for that. So don't be fooled. Don't be baited. Don't be hooked. That's not the goal of, of Christ in his Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to, he's going to tell you as it is. 
This is his view on life and his view of the kingdom in our lives. Three things that we're going to learn today. Um, well, before we even get to the three things, let me tell you about this, all right? Um, two roads, that's what he says. If you want to understand what the broad and narrow roads are, um, what their ways are, uh, you need to do a little bit of interpretation. You have to understand the context of this passage. Because all the, this passage comes all the way at the end of the sermon. We're winding down. Verses 13 to the end, Jesus is concluding the entire series by saying there are two ways. He says, there's one narrow way and there's a broad way. Then he says, there are two trees. There's a rotten tree and and a good tree. Then he says, there are two houses. There's one built on a rock, one built on sand. Now, if Jesus is summarizing his entire sermon by saying there are two ways, it can't mean he's just introducing the idea of the two ways to you now. He can't possibly mean that. It must mean that those two ways have been talked about all through Matthew chapters 5 and 7 through 7. He can't just be introducing the idea to us now. At the end of this text, especially where we've just read, he teaches what we now know to be, what we understand, what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's what he says, right? But then he says, uh, there are two ways. There are two ways. It means throughout the sermon, as he's summarizing with the golden rule, he really ends the sermon summarizing. He says, now, therefore, there are basically two ways. There are two ways. There are two uh, trees. There are two roads. The entire sermon is about these two paths. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount with that in mind, you're going to realize something that's going to absolutely change your life. And there's three things. Now I'm going to get to my three points. Here are my three points. Where did the past take you? What are they? And how do you choose the right one? How do you know you're on the right one? Where do they take you? What are they? How do you know that you're on the right one? First, I'm going to go to where they take you. Where do these paths take you? Where do these ways take you? Jesus uses incredibly ironic language here. Shocks us when he describes it. Because first of all, the word narrow, the word narrow, not just today, but in the Bible, has a very negative connotation throughout the Bible. Uh, The word broad, on the other hand, usually has a very positive connotation. The word narrow, literally, uh, in the literal language, um, connotes squashing, crushing, um, I'm going to give you an illustration from uh, just a very short line from, uh, from Tim Keller, uh, my favorite preacher. He says, if you step on a bug, what happens to that bug? What does it really die of? It dies of narrowness. The bug dies of narrowness, ultimate narrowness. Um, what Jesus is saying here is that life requires a certain amount of space, a certain amount of freedom. Otherwise, you can't breathe. You're going to choke You can't breathe, you can't work, you can't live life. The word broad, on the other hand, it means spaciousness. In the Bible, it connotes freedom. There's a sense of freedom and joy. You read in your call to worship this morning, Psalm chapter 18, you led me into a spacious place. Now, it's shocking. Why is it shocking? It's shocking because Jesus uses a very negative word uh, usually a, a word that's, that connotes something very, very negative 
to mean the right way in this case. And such a positive word for something that is wrong. And and he goes even further. He says, the broad way, it's going to lead you to destruction. And the narrow way, it's going to lead you to life. In the Greek, the original language in which this passage was, was written, in the Greek, there are two words for the word life. You have the word bios and the word zoe. The word bios is where we get the word biology, right? It's where the word biology comes from. That's not what's used here in this text. He says the narrow way leads to life. The word that's used in this passage is the word zoe. What's the difference? If you've, uh, I'm a product of the 80s and 90s. One of my favorite movies is The Dead Poet Society, or Dead Poet Society. Robin Williams, if you haven't seen the movie, great movie, very inspiring, very moving. It's about a teacher who educates a group of high school boys in an all-boys school about poetry. It seems very mundane, but he's, he's an incredibly inspiring teacher all the way through. And this is what he says in the very beginning of the movie when he first meets them as he starts to teach them. Um, he says this, the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. That's bios. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. That's the quality of life. That's Zoe. To quote from Whitman, O me, O life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O me, O life? And he says this, the answer, that you are here, that life exists, an identity, that Zoe, the quality of life, that the powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. Let's put it all together here. Jesus is saying this, the broad way, He's teaching us that the Broadway, whatever this Broadway is, leads us to ultimate narrowness. That's destruction. And the narrow way, enter through the narrow gate and the narrow road, leads to ultimate broadness, ultimate spaciousness. The thing, in other words, the thing that you think is going to get you Zoe is not going to get you Zoe. Everybody else is on that road because they think it's going to get them that quality of life that they desire and want. And the thing that superficially looks narrow on the outside, very narrow-minded, very constricting on the outside, leads to ultimate vastness once you enter through. I'm going to say it another way. Okay, you hear this all the time. I'm going to say it another way. The thing that you think, that you pursue, that's going to increase your options, increase your freedom, increase your joy, increase your potential is actually going to decrease your options, decrease your freedom, decrease your joy, and decrease your potential ultimately. And the thing that looks like it's going to decrease your options, decrease your freedom, your joy, your potential, ultimately increases your option and your freedom and your joy and your potential. Jesus saying that the gospel on the outside, he's not a fool. He knows what it looks like on the outside. 
It looks incredibly restricting, incredibly small and cramped. And you say, gosh, if I live this life, it's going to kill me. It's going to suffocate me. Sometimes, in fact, in the Bible, the Bible's no fool. It uses slave language to describe the life. It doesn't bait you, but when you get inside, unbelievably spacious. It looks like on the outside, wow, it uses slave language. And then you get in, and you're called a king, and you're called a priest. It means you have access. It means you have true ownership. The alternatives to the gospel look broad, look spacious, look free, look incredibly tolerant, accepting. There's nothing more intolerant once you head down that road because there's so much brokenness and because you realize that you're trapped in this world where you have to perform and perform and perform and once you're unable to perform, you're broken and you're left aside. But on, so in, on the inside, it's incredibly cramped, incredibly narrow, incredibly trapping, ultimately suffocating. Now, what are they? That's where they lead. What are they? And what are the implications? What does it mean to be on the broad road? What does it mean to be on the narrow road? It's a fair question. Because some, depending on the translation that you're reading, sometimes the translations talk about the broad road being the easy road, and the narrow road being the hard way. So people, for years, I myself personally, for years the way I read this, you know, the English Standard Version, you know, which is a very, very popular version, reads it like this, for, gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. So people end up reading this, you know, me included. You know, I read this growing up. This is the way I understood this text. Ah, the narrow way. It's the way of the people who take the, you know, the hard, disciplined approach to life. The Christian life is about discipline. It's about taking the hard road, the high road all the time, but the broad way. The people want the easy life. These are the slackers. They don't want to obey. They don't want to pray. They don't want to worship. Is that what's really going on here? After reading three chapters in Matthew, as we've gone through this the entire winter and spring season, is that what Jesus is saying here? Absolutely not. Not at all. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about two people who are in a temple. They're looking for access to God. They're in a temple and they're praying. On one hand, you have a Pharisee who is incredibly well-esteemed, well-educated, wealthy. In fact, you would want this person in your neighborhood because it means status and it means power and it means education and it means right living. It's safe to be around these people. And on the other hand, you have this tax collector, modern-day drug dealer. Okay? That's, the re- that's the way he, he describes these two people on opposite spectrums. They're in different parts of the temple. The Pharisee lives right. He obeys. He fasts. He tithes. And in fact, he admits that in his prayer. That's the hard life. He gives up 10% of his income annually. You know what that means? Pharisees, they tithe weekly like we do. But what he's doing is something that's not necessarily required. At the end of the year, he takes everything that he's got left and he ties another 10%. An incredibly hard and yet good man. But Jesus says, it's the other guy that goes home justified. It's the other man that goes home justified. 
Let's go back to the two paths. It's so clear. This is not about bad people versus good people. This is not about irreligious people against religious people. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Right in the beginning, think, think about this. If you've been here uh, working with us over the past uh, couple months, Matthew chapter 5, he begins the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you need a righteousness that's greater than that of the Pharisees. So he's not talking about bad versus good. He's talking about the good, and he says, you need to be better than that. That's what he says. Chapter 6, he goes into, be careful, don't do this. I don't want you to live like this. I don't want you to look this way. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to live like this. He says five things, five different teachings in chapter 6. In every case, be careful, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. He's always comparing your life with the religious. With the religious. Again, he says, I want, you, I want to show you two different kinds of ways. He says that. Chapter 7, he begins to say, don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental. If you're starting to pay attention, you start to get it. Jesus is not contrasting bad people with good people. Both people pray. Both people try to obey. They're doing it for different reasons. And that's what's scary. He says, you know, I want you to do something that's different than religion. There's a difference between good people and people who've come to the gospel people who live in my kingdom. It's not just about being good. It's about being new. It's not just about being nice. It's about being new. And he says there's a difference between people who are nice and new. Both people pray. Both people try to obey. Both people give. Both people are committed to community in many ways, you know, committed to the community at large in many ways. But he basically says... Here's a scary part. They do it for different reasons. People who are along the broad way are doing the same things as people who are on the narrow way. But it's shocking because he says it's the religious that are headed towards destruction. Jesus is really bringing a a, a distinction between religion, people who who are religious, versus people who are in the gospel. And he says that difference is a difference between death and life. He's saying this. Religious people, they do it to feel superior. They do it to get some sort of leverage over other people. That's why they're judgmental. That's why they pray the way they pray. In a way, it's it's kind of in a way so that God kind of owes them because they've kind of lived up. They've kind of of lived well. And, And you know this because years later, when things don't go well in their lives, they're angry. They're so angry. And they look at their, their lives become so self-absorbed, you know. They don't know how to look outside themselves. And they're always fighting. They're always fighting with other people, comparing themselves with other people. That's what they're doing. They're very bitter. Why? Because religious people, they use God to get other things. Or they use, they're doing things constantly in a way to get access to God. It's outside in. That's religion. But the gospel, you do things because you have God. You use things in many ways, you know, not to get God, but because you love God. You're doing things because you love God. 
Verse 14, Jesus does not say, hard is the way and narrow is the gate to life. He starts out with the gate. He says, narrow is the gate and then it's the way. You enter in and then it's the way. It's not the road that leads to the gate. It's the gate that takes you along the road. And what's that mean? What he's saying is this. He's saying, um, when you're, when you're, you got to know that being just religious, you're just being religious, you know, when you say, first I'm going to take the road. That road's going to get me to the gate. And then I can enter in. It's a hard road. It's a hard life. But then I'll get in. Religious people, that's why they're so works-oriented. That's why they judge people based on what they do or how they are. The way is hard, but then you can enter the gate. And when you enter the gate, you have access, you have salvation. So you have to fight other people. You have to compare. You're constantly comparing yourselves with other people. And, and you're constantly working your way in. And, and, and you're, that's why we're always fighting. But Christianity says no. You enter first. That way has to be open to you. And you enter in. And when you enter the gate, you know, you, know, there's, you realize, how do you enter the gate? You realize that there's somebody who's already fought the battle for you. Somebody who's already made the way for you. Somebody who already opened the gate for you. Somebody who already gave you access. Somebody who did all the fighting that you, that you could not have fought those battles. Somebody who already won that war for you. That's what you realize. That's the road. That's the meaning of the two roads. It's not about irreligion versus religion. It's about religious people and the gospel, where the trust is, where the reliance is. Now, how do you know that you're on the right one? How do you know you're on the right road? The broad way and the narrow way, you know, they represent two different kinds of people. One person, one type is very, very judgmental. That's the broad way. They're always fighting. It's because they're always fighting their way in. The Broadway, it's people who always think of their sins as, you know, not too bad. They're not as bad as other people's sins. The broad road is filled with people who think, uh, you know, um, I'm not that bad. Um, I make a lot of excuses. It's really not my fault. I get it. I'm, I'm a sinner. But actually, it's because of this or because of these circumstances or because of these people in my life. You know, you have other people to blame. You're always giving into your natural instincts. And because that's our natural, that's the way we're designed. That's the way we've been built. Because our design is broken. Because of the brokenness that inherently exists in our lives. We're constantly, our natural inclination is to always make excuses, blame other people. You know, and that's why in that broad road, a lot of people are on that road. It's the natural road to be on. Many people are on it. On the broad road, people, they're always trying to feel superior to other people. Even the philanthropy, in a lot of ways, it's people who have a lot who give to people who don't have a lot. Sometimes there are conditions because it's superior versus inferior. Or it's it's, uh, people who want to give to the inferior. And that's why it's never well-received. It's very rarely well-received when you give that way. You see, so even on the broad road, it's people always trying to get superiority. Aristotle, all of life is a power play to justify ourselves. We easily admit, I'm a sinner, I'm broken, but when when somebody confronts you with the specifics of your sin, oh, you get angry. It's so easy to be bitter. Even people who really know you, 
When you call it out, you say, I'm going to block you. That's what we do. The point of the text is to show you that there are two kinds of good people. Two kinds of good people. On the surface, look very similar. You know, if you think about it, it makes sense because the next illustration he shows us are the two, two trees. And he talks about two fruit. Well, if it was one type of fruit is bad and rotten and the other type of fruit is good and tasty, you know, all you have to do is look at it and you know the difference. That's not what he's doing. He says, actually, there are two kinds of fruit and you can't tell. You can't tell. It's the fruit. It's the, you got you you, you to bite into it. You taste it. That's how you know. Oh, my gosh, this is rotten in the core. There's something wrong with the core. It's the fruit, right? That's what he says. Um, the point of text, two kinds of good people. On the surface, they look completely the same, but not completely the same. Why? Because the good people who are on the broad road, there's a pride there's an anger. There's a superiority. If you read in the quotes in your bulletin, uh, the reflection quotes, there's a, a great quote from The Great Divorce written by C.S. Lewis. Um, it's, a, it's a classic quote. The Bible calls those types of people scoffers. They're the scoffers. And Jesus is saying people on the broad road, oh boy, that's, that's scoffing, it's corrosive. That anger, the pride, the superiority, it's corrosive. That's what he's saying. That's why your life, although you think it's the broad road, it starts to narrow because the corrosion sets in. The inherent brokenness creates this insecurity and this this need to always be superior, to prove yourself, to prove your worth, and that corrosion starts to take over. So on the surface, you seem to have the same behavior, but on the you know, on the inside, underneath, you're dying. Your life is becoming more and more narrow. I'm going to show you some specifics here. The narrow way, the narrow way, on the other hand, it leads to broadness, he says. Why? Because when you see your sin, it's very, very specific, and it hurts. Anybody who sees sin, it's natural to hurt, and you're supposed to hurt. It punches you in the gut. Because sometimes you don't even expect it, and you feel it. It's sore. It kind of, it lingers, and sometimes you even feel like it's growing. But when you hear, when you see, died he for me who caused his pain. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. If you believe, the only, way, the only way that we can be saved is through Jesus. First of all, that's very, very narrow. That's very countercultural. That's very counterintuitive. It goes against all of your instincts. Very, very narrow. You know, our natural instincts are to be self-justifying, to be blame-shifting, to be self-indulgent in our behavior. We, we were built to experience pleasure and joy. You know, to always escape. But if you believe, and you have to believe this, somebody else fought for me. Somebody else won the gate for me. Somebody else charged the gate and won the gate for me and opened the gate wide for me. Jesus says, enter that gate first, and then you will have Zoe. Oh, he's going to carry your burdens. You will have peace 
incredible peace, you, a peace you can't create on your own because it's eternal, there's a foundation, and it's in your core. He's going to carry your burdens. Doesn't he do that? He carries your burdens. Broad-minded people, they say, those guys are so narrow-minded. I'm broad-minded. I'm broad-minded. I would never believe that you have to just only believe in Jesus. All good people can go to heaven. All good people can find access to God. It sounds very broad, but it means... Number one, if everybody, first of all, everybody's got good sides to them. Everybody's got good sides to them. Everybody's got good qualities. There's not a single person on this earth who doesn't have good qualities. That means that it's for everybody. And if, you, if you're, what you're saying is that heaven is open and available to everybody, then that means even Hitler and a serial killer and a rapist can actually enter in with you. That's what that means. Because everyone's got good qualities. Everyone's got noble intentions. Everyone's got good intentions in their lives. It means that salvation then has to be something beyond that. It's going to be salvation by works. And that's going to lead to the corrosion. That's going to lead to the comparing. That's going to lead to the fighting. And you're still going to have your burdens oh, you're going to have your burdens and it's going to make you feel anxious and you're going to be driven by these anxieties and it's going to make you tired and then you're going to be driven by that fatigue and you're constantly trying to outwork and outpace other people. You're always working to be acceptable. You're always looking to be vindicated. You always want justice in your life and you want justice for other people and you're going to fight for causes because you think that is the road that you need to be on that's going to make you and finally, at the end, justify you. Christians know there is a narrowness about the gospel. You're going to struggle with it at times. I'm a pastor. Trust me, I struggle with it every day. There's a narrowness at times. Sometimes you're going to hate it. Sometimes it upsets you. But the opposite side is also narrow. You just don't see that it's narrow. In fact, the opposite side, their narrowness starts to close in on you until at the end, there's an ultimate squashing and then crushing. And many of us on that broad road experience symptoms of that crushing already because things that led you towards what you thought was going to be an increase of your options and freedom and joy, you're already fearing the narrow, feel, feeling and experiencing the narrowness when things fall apart, when things break up. You realize you've put too much. You're on the broad road and you've gone very way in. Two people, both people trying to be good, trying to live your life, do the right thing. If you're on the broad road, every intent, every incident, every decision is you fighting for your life, proving your worth. So when somebody robs you and hurts you of your reputation, kind of stings you or slights you, even the slightest thing, it's the only reputation you've got. So you're going to protect it. You're going to fight for it. You're gonna, it's going to make you angry. It's going to depress you. It's going to make you insecure. You're going to want to run for cover or hide or cover up or make excuses. One thing after another because life is a power play. And you know why? It's because deep inside there's an insecurity. Deep inside, deep inside, you're not really sure where you really stand in life. That's why, that's why that is. So you're placing the weight of your cosmic standing on other people. That's why you need their approval. So when they don't give you their approval, 
Oh, you try and you try. You're climbing that performance ladder, that treadmill. You're running that performance treadmill, aren't you? It leads to the corrosion of the soul. It makes you resentful. It makes you bitter. It makes you scared and tired. You've worked all your life for this reputation until you realize you're made of glass. Then somebody comes along, takes away your reputation, jilts you, hurts your career. That just absolutely devastates you. Why? Because it's the only worth you have. It's the only reputation you've got. Even the slightest misunderstood comments that are made by other people to you, oh, it hurts you. Oh, it jilts you. Oh, it destroys you. And you hate that person, and sometimes you hate yourself as a result of it. Why? Because that road to broadness actually leads to narrowness. When a Christian, a Christian, a Christian is willing to be narrow, narrow enough says, I've been saved by grace. Somebody else has won the gate for me. Then when somebody comes along and tries to take something from you, tries to rob you of your reputation, jilts you, even if they were absolutely unjustified, unwarranted, and wrong in doing so, even if, so you feel narrow, and you feel cheated, and you feel robbed, and it hurts. A Christian, it's not like a Christian doesn't hurt. A Christian hurts. They're gossiping about you. They're misunderstanding you. They're lying about you. But you know who you are. You have a reputation that serves as a foundation that will never break. You know who you are. You know you're loved. Somebody was willing to die and at his cost open the gate for you to enter in. That must mean you are loved. You are loved. You are valued. You are accepted. And that is not just an earthly thing. That is cosmic. You are loved by the Father. The Muslim faith has 400 words for God in the Muslim Quran. 400 words. Not one of them refer to God as Father. You are loved. You see, only Christians have true spaciousness. They don't look down on other people. They don't condemn other people. That's why they're not judgmental, because they've they've entered through the gate by grace. They didn't pry open those doors through their works. Somebody opened the gate for them. That's why they can't be judgmental. Because what qualifies them is what qualifies you. There's no qualification. It was Jesus' record that qualifies opening that gate. And it's Jesus' sacrifice that opened that gate for you to enter in. That means that at the base, you and I are the same. Us and anybody else, we're the same. We all need the same gospel. We all need the same truth. It doesn't matter what people do to you because you're not chained to that. That's not what your foundation is built on. But you can lose sometimes a sense of joy. You can lose a sense of freedom. You know, not just through over, not because of overt sin, not because you've done something to lose it, but because you've forgotten the gospel. You can lose a sense of that joy. You know, I woke up this morning and I looked at my sermon. <laughs> And I, I do this. This happens once in a while. I wake up and I, w- I look at this sermon. I say, this sermon sucks. This sermon stinks. No one's going to like this sermon. 
No one's going to like this. I mean, how many times I say this all, every week? Who's going to like this sermon? You know? But no, but if I clung to this, if I cling to that, what are you going to see me doing? Yo, what do you, what do you think of my sermon? You end up doing that anyway, right? It's the, it's the you know, the proverbial, do I look fat? You know, you're asking because you feel fat, right? That's why. So you have this lousy sermon, and I'm like, hey, what would you think? And they say, I was all right. You're like, I hate you, and I hate myself. That's how it works, right? That's how it works. That's how this whole thing works. That's being on the broad path. You're losing your freedom as a result. That's what's happening. It's not through overt sin, but it's because you're forgetting to rejoice in Christ. Oh, and when you rejoice in in Christ, that's when the freedom rushes over you like a spring. That's when it does. Everybody in this room has something like that. It's not a sermon per se, but you have something like that. And only a few of us are going to find that freedom. Which gate? Which road? Because it goes against your natural instincts. That's why so few of us find it. How do you go back to it? I'm going to show you how you get back to it. Look at Christ. Jesus was on the narrow way. Jesus was on the narrow road. But you know, his road wasn't entering in and then the narrow road that leads to life. His road was going through the gate to go out of the city, up a narrow road called Calvary. Jesus was crucified outside the gate. So his narrow road was a road we would never be on because Christ would not want us to be on that road. He took the road out of the gate, out of the city, up the narrow road to Calvary and went to the cross, the most narrow road anyone could ever travel because only he could travel it. Only he could travel it. Only he desired to travel it. Jesus was cheated on trial. Jesus was was not given a fair trial. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was lied about. Jesus was gossiped about. Jesus was, was totally uh, uh, robbed, in many, in that, so to speak. Jesus was cheated. And he didn't just experience the sting of being cheated. He was abandoned by his friends, abandoned by anybody else who could possibly speak for him. And he hung on that cross alone. He bore the weight of God's wrath alone. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even his father rejected and abandoned him. And on the cross when he said that, what he's saying is this, I am being crushed. My life has become narrowed, crushed by the weight of your wrath. Why? So that you could experience space so that you could experience the freedom of God's love, so that you could experience the joy of God's love. Jesus was crushed by the weight of God's wrath so that you could be forgiven, so you could enter in the gate and and, and have access to God. Ultimate freedom. Look to Christ. Look to the cross. See Jesus crucified for you. See Jesus and his life narrowed for you so you can be free. It's right here. Here's where it is. 
This is the gospel. You know, if, it was, if salvation was, I got to work my way up to getting God's favor, that's not good news. Because <laughs> there are going to be days when you feel good and many days when you feel really, really horrible about yourself. Why is the gospel good news? Because the way has been made, it's Christ. The gate has been opened, that's Christ. And you enter. You are invited. We are invited every week to return to the path, to the right path. It's been made for you. Once you're on, once you've entered, you can't lose it. Yeah, there are going to be days when you feel like you're on the broad road. And it's going to hurt you. And then you're going to feel the narrowness. Look to Christ. He brings you back. Look to Christ. See the road that he traveled on. So you would never have to travel that road. And you realize you will have freedom. You will have peace. You will have joy in Christ. It's going to wash over you like a spring. He says it's going to be a spring of life. Welling up to eternal life. A spring of joy. Will you live that way? Will you enter through that gate? Let's pray.